So we want your hot take on it. Wow. Um, <laughs> copy on YouTube, although made in 1973, looks like it was shot in 1873. Yeah, it's very authentic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of daguerreotypes that have been over <laughs> that have been overlaid like stop motion. Almost. Oh man. Well, I think while it's fresh, we better just intro this thing and start talking about stuff. Should we do it? All right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. All right. Listeners, you are listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast where we three friends get together and talk about a horror movie. We're doing this virtually until safe to do otherwise. So, audio, eh, it's going to improve. I watched some YouTube videos about how to plug some stuff directly in. Not this time, but next time. Um, <laughs> you know what? I have to make sure it really... You put that in on every episode. Yeah. Hey, guys, we're going to kick the can a little further down the street. Just keep following us. It's cool. Uh, we're not professional critics or professional podcasters, apparently. We're not getting paid. So... Uh, we thank the Moon Rays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. Say hello to them on Facebook, where they are the Moon Dash Rays, or buy their music on Amazon or Apple Music. And we three made a coloring book. You can go to plan9coloringbook.com, that is plan9coloringbook.com, and get a Plan 9 from Outer Space coloring book, which we made. It's gorgeous, it's crisp, it has lots of pages, activities, and, um... I'm just going to say this. Order within the next week and I'll send you a bunch of crayons along with some other stuff. <laughs> so, All right. Can't beat that. Yeah. Um, so that's what they call housekeeping. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will and Jolian. Hello. Hello. That was Will. That was Jolian. Guys, who wants to do Recently Watched? Because we're going to do that, spoil it, then we're going to talk about... Uh, Wow, I said it backward again. Uh, we're going to do Recently Watched and try not to spoil it. Then we're going to do the featured attraction and go ahead and spoil it. Who wants to start? Right. This will sound great in the edit. Sure it will. Go ahead. Slicing and dicing. Jolie and Will? Jo- will? Who wants to do it? Will? Uh, not much. Uh, more Star Trek. That's about it. <laughs> Have you run? If uh, you run out of next you generation, up to now? yeah, we're we're into Deep Space Nine and almost done with uh, next generation. Hmm. So you then gonna... I suppose we'll be on to terrible, terrible Voyager. Uh, um. <laughs> why don't you just read fan fiction instead? Oh no, we're gonna watch uh, holodeck episodes exclusively. 
<laughs> where they, you know, all the action takes place on the holodeck and all the threats are, uh, <clears throat> you know, not real. Jason X. Jason X. <laughs> That's all I got to say about the holodeck. Leprechaun. Jason X versus Leprechaun in space, which is better. <laughs> <laughs> I like the one where Data takes the girls in the sleeping bags and beats them to death against the tree. That's the best episode. Wow. That was <laughs> shocking. It was. <laughs> and he's just totally emotionless. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Didn't even sweat. Uh, um, but yeah, that's it. I've, I've not done much. Wow. Uh, Jolien, how about you? Uh, I didn't see any horror movies apart from Hex, and uh, I've watched uh, some westerns. Uh, so you pretty much just watched westerns. <laughs> yeah, so on those are the only movies I watched last week, and um, and we, we're still watching uh, Ultraman Ace, and uh, yeah, uh, that, that's about it. Wow. Well, then, we're going to, we're going to bring this one in under an hour pretty easily. I have a feeling, <laughs> um, for me, since it's my turn, I guess, um, I decided to go ahead, although I started and didn't think I could go forward with it. I did watch some, uh, more episodes of American horror story cult. And, uh, the way it starts out on election night, 2016, made it really hard to believe I could go forward from it and, um, not feel like, why am I reliving the last four years starting now? Um, so, uh, decided to go ahead and, you know, continue forward. I think I'm about four episodes in. Um, I don't want to give too much away except to say that the two main characters are a lesbian couple who have a son and, one of them seems to be sort of at the edge of a psychotic break. She is terrified of clowns, is absolutely freaked out by the results of the election, and is, is either actually experiencing or imagining some things about people who are sort of uh, ganging up on her or trying to kill her and or her family. So... Um, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, watch an episode here and there as it, as I need to uh, watch something. And as usual with this, um, this uh, cast and crew, cause they use the cast sort of over again, every, every different iteration, uh, they do a great job. They make you really feel tense. Uh, the writing is not always terrific, but it's usually thought provoking and upsetting on some levels. <laughs> <laughs> so what more do you want? Uh, that So that was um, something I've watched a couple of episodes since we did this last. Um, we watched The Queen's Gambit, uh, two episodes at a time until we got through it. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Are you guys familiar with this at all? Okay. It's, no. This is a um, what they call a limited series or what we used to call a mini series, except for, you know, you can't really go forward with it. But it's about a, uh, a young girl who ends up in an orphanage because she loses both parents. And she is um, there for a little while. And then she discovers what is chess. 
because she kind of pops in to clean the erasers in the janitor's basement area. Luckily, he's not creepy. I'm going to go ahead and spoil that. Uh, she notices the chess game. He is playing against a book or maybe himself. Maybe he switches seats, but the game immediately makes sense to her. And she, in short, is a chess prodigy. And this is kind of her troubled life from that point forward. Because, well, even though she gets adopted by somebody who supposedly wants her and carries forward her ambitions as a chess uh, fiend <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, there, there's a lot of bumps in the road. So it's super uh, interesting, well-written. You get a lot of uh, tension and interesting characters that come and go. And her sort of rising through the ranks of, of uh, chess players. So that's really cool. It's on Netflix, The Queen's Gambit. Really enjoyed it. I decided, you know how I watch UFO stuff. You, you may or may or may not have noticed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I've mentioned it two, three times on the show, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I think it was on Hulu. I decided, oh, what is this thing with this lizard man face and a funny hat? I'm going to go ahead and watch this <laughs> thing. So I watched <laughs> something called Above Majestic. And this is supposedly about the Majestic 12, but other stuff. Um, Let me go ahead and pull this up uh, while we're talking, and I will just... Okay. Above Majestic. This is a documentary, question mark, from uh, 2018. So late in the year, two years ago. Uh, let's see. The blurb says a look at the origins, history, and conspiracies behind the Majestic 12, a clandestine group of military and corporate figureheads charged with reverse engineering extraterrestrial technology. Well, it's kind of about that. It goes down a bunch of side roads into some other weird shit. And then here's where I get a little annoyed. This movie is a (laughs) hundred is 133 minutes. It's only 20 minutes left in the documentary when I can say for sure this is a bunch of QAnon um, followers. To be kind, I'll just call them that. QAnon followers who made this. Um, Lizard people aren't real. I'm sorry, they're just not. Uh, Oh, did you know... Did you know QAnon's not real? <laughs> I mean, it didn't start out as real. It was no, like, a, like, wasn't a, it a bunch of like, uh, skateboarders who came up with a mock conspiracy site? Yeah, it was like some hackers slash skateboarders. Yeah. So now they've got a bunch of fervent followers who won't believe anything you tell them, but they will, <laughs> but they will believe that there is a uh, secret cabal of uh, baby-eating, blood-drinking Satanists who are also liberals, who are trying to rule the world, and there's a uh, non-caped crusader with a shitty hairdo who's going to save us all from this. Yes. Yeah, so. They'll believe that, but they won't believe that there's no such thing as lizard people. You know, I do uh, covers for uh, these books about uh, UFOs in the Old West. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a couple more came out last week end of last week so there's one about the first rash of airship sightings yeah um yeah um 
And then last week I finished doing another one, which is going to be the South American edition, where it's uh, uh, where we've turned into a scene from Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I'm trying to change my background. But. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so last uh, it's the South American edition, so it's got a bunch of gauchos and, and dinosaurs on the front. Nice. So that, that was fun to do as a fan of uh, Valley of Guanji and all that. Oh, man. Oh, uh, uh, I also got, you know, another uh, John Carpenter book. Um, uh, I got a, a photo of uh, Keith Gordon holding a copy. He was the, um, Keith Gordon was the lead guy in uh, Christine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he's directed a bunch of movies himself, like The Chocolate War. And, yeah, Arnie. Uh, a whole bunch was, of TV. He played Arnie, yeah. right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Arnie cool. Cunningham. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, he did such a good job. His transformation in Christine was stunning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, um, well, oh, before we get on to the, uh, to the uh, movie, I, I, the last thing I saw was Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Uh, this wow. is... This is, is this a porno? Uh, you'd, you'd hope so, but it's not. Uh, this, <laughs> this came out in April of this year. Uh, I've talked before about Stephen M. Greer, uh, Dr. Greer, who is uh, an expert on UFOs. Uh, I really wanted to get a palate cleanser after that goddamn lizard man thing I watched. So I, <laughs> I watched this thing. Um, I'll just read you the storyline thing from IMDb to give you an idea, uh, part of it anyway. In this film, Dr. Stephen Greer uh, presents the most dangerous information that the architects of secrecy do not want you to know, how forgotten spiritual knowledge holds the key to humans initiating with highly advanced uh, ET civilizations. This film features a large amount of groundbreaking video and photographic evidence and supporting interviews with some prominent figures so on and so forth. And then I watched about five episodes of the latest season of Rick and Morty. So, yeah. A lot of teleportation, portals, uh, space, science fiction stuff, you know. So, yeah. good, good fun. Uh, that's it for me. And, of course, Hex, a.k.a. The Shrieking? Yeah. There it's got four different titles as far as I know. What are the other two? What are the other two? Uh, well, it, it was written as Grassland, okay. and there are posters of it as Grassland, and uh, they, I think they released it in, uh, it, yeah, it was, so they made it in 71, and then it was shelved uh, by 20th Century Fox. Then um, in, I think, September 73, it was released as Grassland, and then December 73, it was released as Hex, and then uh, and then it went back in a shelf, and... Um, then it came out on video in the eighties as uh, the shrieking, and uh, and then it came out on a DVD set as charms. 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 Sure. Um, what made you decide on this one in the first place? You chose this one, Jolian, and and that's not an indictment. That's just <laughs> no. I, I, I had vague memories of reading about it in Psychotronic. Um, so Psychotronic, they say, uh, in 1919, a biker gang goes to an isolated ranch where two sisters live. 
One is a witch who kills the intruders in various bizarre ways, starring Keith Carradine and Robert Walker Jr. as a mute. Norman Mailer liked it. 20th Century Fox didn't. They decided not to release it. Filmed in South Dakota with Gary Busey and John Carradine. So, uh... Yeah. I trust that so far because John Carradine's not in it. It's, uh... Just as one of his sons. Yeah, Keith. Um, but uh, then uh, there was a, another article on it in the last issue of uh, Wang's Chop uh, magazine. Um, so uh, I was reminded of it and wanted to wanted to see it. And I figured, well, we like uh, period witch movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. About time I checked this one out. So. There you go. Well, they just kind of stuck a toe in the water as far as witches go, didn't they? Yeah, sort of. Um, they had a uh, there was a guy on set who was he was from a local. Uh, they shot it on his uh, Cheyenne River Suet Reservation, and uh, they had a guy on set. Uh, what was his name? Um, Henry Crow Dog. Uh, he was a Sioux medicine man, so he was advising them on the uh, uh, all that that gear she has and the various spell casting she does. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, in the movie, these uh, bikers turn up and they they run out of town. Uh, they end up at this uh, ranch where you've got these two sisters um, who are orphans now and. Uh, uh, the uh, Boosie character attacks uh, one of the women and then her sister um, takes him out with an owl. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Did she turn into an owl? No, I think she just gets the owl to attack him, didn't she? So she directs... She, she, she was up in the window and right. I couldn't tell if it was because it was low budget, but like the camera takes it hands down from her in this kind of swoop and then you see the owl and they did the same thing when after the owl attacks him they go back up to the room and they do this kind of swoop and the the mute guy finds a couple of owl feathers in the in her bedroom right right and i think she turned into the owl and also there were owl feet coming out of that mask at the end she was yes yes oh yeah. But anyway. Well, you know, she could be she could be a shapeshifter, which would really make it more interesting if they were to lean into that a little bit, but they had no way of knowing in 1970, 71 or 73 that shapeshifting would be a thing now. So, they couldn't have predicted that. I mean, outside of werewolves, they wouldn't really know to to think of that. But isn't shapeshifting quite common in uh Yeah, but yeah, that shapeshifting in Native American myth is pretty common. Sure, but but the um but the the white man really didn't find it as interesting as as well, that's why they didn't in, I don't know if that's true, but uh I imagine a large part of that is low budget. Well, sure. Shapeshifting has been, you know, uh, the cost has been brought down with computers. You can <laughs> more easily, cheaply, yeah, for the last thirty years as opposed to nineteen seventy one. 
where again this movie looked like it was filmed in 1871 <laughs> or at least the the weird artifacty copy we watched yes yes on youtube which yeah. i recommend yeah this, uh, <laughs> it's like somebody there's per- 4k restoration <laughs> And this is just K. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was K. I don't. I don't know if I was K with it. Uh, yeah, uh, it was almost like someone projected it on a bed sheet and filmed it with a camcorder. Wow, it was bizarre. Yeah, yeah. it was wobbly, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was real wobbly, and and the camera movement was just kind of kind of off putting. And then when. Uh, she put the things in the frog to possess the one uh, lady. Ooh, I felt queasy. Okay. In- well, imagine how much money they spent on doing the exact same effects in Midsummer. Yeah. They could have just <laughs> shot this on uh, VHS and then dubbed it several generations. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that almost makes me want to watch Midsummer on a like third generation VHS Yeah. Now, guys, I, I made a note here that uh, Keith Carradine isn't David Carradine or Peter Fonda. He's kind of both, but also, <laughs> but also neither. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> now, <laughs> now, Jolien, you didn't grow up watching Kung Fu, did you? Uh, I saw a few episodes of Kung Fu, the, yeah. the TV series. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that this was uh, uh, early '70s. Kung Fu was, and uh, yeah, I would have to look it up to say for sure what year it started. But David seemed to be outside of uh, their dad. Of all the Carradines, it seemed like David kind of got out ahead of them as far as success in his career. And. Um, well, his drinking didn't do him any favors. I found out from my uh, one of my professors in college worked on a film he was in. Uh, long story short, uh, it's it's a contract thing that every filmmaker had to do <laughs> to protect themselves from his outrageous habits. And it, it basically, it would say if you show up drunk on set, you don't get paid, and could potentially lose your job. But outside yeah. of okay, outside of that, um, David had a lot of success. He's the guy who would not make a ten million dollar movie in a year. He would make ten one million dollar movies in a year. He's the original guy of that thing. Yeah. Well, how about his dad? His dad, well, his dad was. He never his stopped. Dad's still making movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can't slow him down. <laughs> yeah, death. He's been dead for 150 years, <laughs> and yet he's still making movies. Jimi Hendrix made more albums after his death than he did during his whole life. So, yeah, I would say in music, yeah, definitely Jimi Hendrix, and in film, John Carradine. So you're, you're saying John Carradine is the Jimi Hendrix of cinema? Yes, or you could say okay. Jimi Hendrix is the... John Carradine of of rock and roll. <laughs> I see. Well, well yeah. So, right. yeah, uh, yeah. John Carradine. I don't know what he ever got paid for stuff, but he made a lot of it. And then they cut it up and made a lot more of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, 
What about the rest of the cast? Uh, did either? Why haven't they made uh, not not to keep on this for too much longer? But why haven't they made him into a CGI character like they did poor old Peter Cushing in Rogue One? Yeah, I guess they kind of did in that. Uh, or no, who was that? And that was uh, Olivier. I think they did in Sky Captain. Oh yeah. And then they, well, they CG'd Sean Young, who is alive and well. They CG'd her into Blade Runner 2049. Well, she's alive anyway. Well, yeah. When I saw her, she seemed well. Uh, But, oh, man. Um, Okay, what about the rest of the cast? Uh, Was other than Carradine, other than... um, So you've got Keith Carradine. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's amazing cast, isn't it? They're, yeah. They're all quite good. Uh, Gary Busey, uh, he, for the short amount of time he's in the film, he kind of kills it. I like, I oh, like, yeah, he's always good. Yeah. Yeah. This is before he wrecked on a motorcycle and hit his head. So he was <laughs> he was just playing nutty. He wasn't actually nutty yet. Uh, did Jolien, did you grow up with, with any uh, access to Grizzly Adams? Uh, no, but that, that guy is in it. Yeah. yeah. I, I've never seen a Grizzly Adams. Well, yeah, it's something that just sort of showed up and stayed on TV for a few uh, years. What's his name? Dan Huggerty? Yeah. Yeah, he was the bearded guy with the hot rod. That yeah. That was. that was. That was Grizzly Adams, yes. Yeah, and you've got Robert Walker, uh, who, I'm, he's a familiar face as well. It's lots of, uh familiar actors in this oh yeah he played chupo yeah he did a a bunch of television um including dragnet (laughs) which is weird the fall guy dallas la law the new adam 12 a bunch of television and then um uh christina rains has done tons of tv yeah now I noticed that Keith Carradine, was it her? Keith Carradine and Christina Raines, I think. Uh, or was it Hillary Thompson? Two of them were intertwined quite a bit, which made me wonder. Uh, yeah, she, uh, Christina Raines and Keith Carradine dated for eight years. That makes sense, because they were in a lot of stuff together after this. So, yeah. There we go. Yeah, Christina Raines played... Uh, yeah, I think they're both in uh, Nashville. Oh, okay. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Yeah, this this was her first film. Oh. She, she's now a nurse who specializes in uh, caring for patients going through dialysis. Oh, wow. Um, she was born Christina Hrazzo in Manila in the Philippines. Okay. Um, she had a Swiss-German grandmother. You know, like she's playing a Swiss... Uh, slash Sue woman in this. Yeah. Sweet, is it, it, or are, are they Swedish mix? Um, anyway, um, yeah, she was, she was going to business school in New York city at the time. And then, uh, her, uh, uh, she was doing like a bit of modeling on the side and, uh, for, for Eileen Ford. And, uh, they sent her to an audition and, uh, yeah, she, she ended up being cast in this movie. 
Um, she really enjoyed it and got the got the uh, acting bug. And dated Keith Carradine for eight years. Um, and then they came back to uh, Los Angeles and she changed her name to uh, Christina Rains because uh, uh, having a surname of Hirazzo, she was always offered uh, Spanish-speaking roles and she couldn't actually speak Spanish. So, <laughs> so her agent said, uh, yeah, you should change that. So, uh, But she was in... Um, she was in The Stone Killer with Charles Bronson, uh, playing his daughter, although she, that was cut. Um, and, but she was she worked with uh, Michael Winner again in uh, The Sentinel. Do you remember um, that one? No. From 77, no. Michael Winner. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's another film with an, an amazing cast. It's not a film, but um, I've not seen it in ages. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure that I've ever seen that one. Yeah, it's quite it's quite notorious because it's uh, they used uh, people with actual deformities for the ending. Um, it it tries to be one of these uh, you know '70s glossy horror movies with a big name cast and uh, uh, supernatural goings on in an apartment building. Yeah. Um, and she's the lead in that, and uh, she she hated. Uh, uh, yeah, Michael Winner was awful to everybody in that. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, like uh, Ava Gardner's in it, and so Ava Gardner would defend her from Michael Winner's advances, and then she was defending Ava Gardner from being uh, abused in different ways by uh, Michael Winner because he was he was like determined to uh, photograph her in the least flattering way possible. Oh man! So they oh. were like helping each other out. That was like um, a that was yeah, a hit. Was, pretty, was that like sorry. a Hitchcock move? Like, <laughs> like I'll 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 do something more flattering if you do things favorable to my wants and needs. I didn't know what his beef was. He just seemed like he was he was being horrible to everybody on that shoot. Uh, um, but she was in the the Duelists, the uh, Ridley Scott film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did. She did a whole bunch of uh, mini series and TV series, and you know, glossy soaps. And uh, 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 she did a, a, an anthology movie called Nightmares in '83. And she was in a Hammer House of Suspense in the '80s, I think. But she, yeah, but she uh, she retired to take care of her daughter, and then she became a nurse. Hmm. Wow. Listeners who like Harvey Keitel should watch The Duelists so they can see what he looks like with braids. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. So, yeah, have you ever seen that one? Mm-hmm. Not in a long, long time. I couldn't but tell. But yeah, it's been, ooh, yeah. been a long, long time. Yeah, long time. Some, sometimes you start thinking about like um, some of those movies, like you like Bridge Over the River Kwai. Haven't seen that since I was probably 16 couldn't tell you anything about it except obi-wan kenobi was in it (laughs) (laughs) they blow up the bridge at the end oh spoilers (laughs) very familiar tune in that one you recognize the whistle yeah yeah that's true so uh Uh, yeah um uh sissy spacek auditioned for this movie and didn't get Um, it auditioned for everything yeah, the part went to Reigns in this one, and then uh, they both auditioned for Colmide and his daughter, and Sissy Spacek got that one. Which she wow. she got the Academy Award for that, didn't she? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, of course Carrie. I don't know if they both went out for that one, but uh, you know she. 
don't think so, no. No. She killed it on that one, though. Right. Um, so, uh, so this movie, when you, when you see how it's, um, how it's categorized, drama, horror, Western. Okay. Is it more one of these things or two of these things? Or is it equal parts all three of these things? What do you think, Julian? It's all three. Yeah? Yeah, I think it's all three. The least of which is what? It's, it's a bit of a biker movie. Well, yeah, it is definitely a bit of a biker movie. and, and it's Biker so, movie, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a witch movie. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's even got a black goat in it. Yeah. His name is Jupiter. Jupiter, yeah. Which is great. You've got planetary names. and, um, But do you think this is more a drama? A Western? <laughs> what is it for? If you had to put this or in... horror? I think it's a, it's a solid mix of all three. Uh, equal parts? Or do you... Yeah. Think, okay. I disagree. Okay, if I had to say one of them was less than, I'd say probably drama. Less drama? Yeah. So it's more horror than... drama is, is such a sort of ambiguous term. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like this is more a Western than anything, although, you know, it is set in the West, but it's not set in, like, 1800s the West. Um, it's set in just post-turn of the century. It's uh, uh, 1919. Yeah, so it's post-World yeah. post War One. Like... A hundred years ago. Yeah. Man, seems so long ago. We've come so far, <laughs> haven't we? This year seems like a hundred years. Do you know, this would have been set just post-pandemic, uh, right? Yep. Yeah. So they were all happy to be out doing their thing, not worried about that pesky bug anymore. Just living, yeah. living free, riding motorcycles and... Being and being in the tall grass and doing their thing, yeah, right, yeah. So, guys, a year from now, this is our life. <laughs> motorcycle journey, yeah, right. First, get a motorcycle, then learn to ride it. And yeah, then, they consulted a bike expert who lived in uh, Hoboken, and he was an expert on like the 1919 Indian motorcycles oh, you know they, oh. yeah i noticed somebody got a credit or a couple people got credit for antique motorcycles in the beginning right that makes sense because it's all very uh, specific yeah my grandfather and his friend in 19 something or other i'm guessing 1930 32 rode motorcycles uh from el paso to los angeles like these kids did and he said about every 10 miles they had to stop and fix the tires because the roads were so bad and it took them forever (laughs) and uh i think they only made it halfway and then they decided to hop a train they like sold their motorcycles to some kid in some town or something I don't remember. It's one of those stories like, oh, I wish I'd written that down. But <laughs> Oh, man, that is cool, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, it didn't It didn't go like the Donner Pass story, you know, the Donner Party story. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to count it as a win if you made it there alive and didn't have to eat your friends. Yeah. 
they rode across the desert though. So. Yeah, which Ugh. I don't know what's worse. It sounded pretty miserable. Yeah. You know, driving a car with air conditioning through a desert is miserable. I can only imagine what it's like riding a motorcycle through it and having... Uh-huh, an ancient motorcycle in 1930 that you get 10 miles. <laughs> yeah. And it breaks down. Yeah. You got to fix something and then go again and then fix something else. Yeah, that would suck. I think this movie could have only been made in the 70s. Yeah. Because it's kind of a weird, low-key thing. Um, they certainly wouldn't make anything like this now. No. Well, this, this is when the big studios are in collapse, but then they noticed that these small mm-hmm. independent films like Easy Rider were making money. Exactly. So yeah, were, all of a sudden, these little independent films they were, they were looking around to uh, invest in. Yeah, um, it was great. Yeah, for some reason, this director, uh, Les Garen got, Leo Garen got it, uh, the money. So he hadn't done a film before. He, he was like an off-Broadway uh, director. Oh, wow. But uh, he, he, he had directed an episode of I Dream of Genie. <laughs> uh, with, I wrote this down, by the way. It's an episode from 1969 called Genie and the Secret Weapon. Well. Which I guess was probably a 1918 motorcycle was her secret weapon. Just guessing. <laughs> Maybe. Or, or an owl. No, it's, it um, owl. It's, it's not for nothing that I mentioned that uh, Keith Carradine isn't Peter Fonda or David Carradine. Because this <laughs> reminded me of Easy Rider. Uh, and uh, because there's an experimental feel to the movie, like like everybody was just kind of riffing not experimental like like surrealist or anything but but everyone was no. just kind of riffing with this like oh what if we just cut to this and did this other thing and use this kind of music there was that feel to it for sure this yeah there's some interesting use of like freeze frames and yeah. unusual transitions yeah yeah some real unusual transitions where they just stop and then kind of in the middle of a scene and fade to the next scene yeah like they cut out the the very end, I guess, of a scene there, and then rolled to, you know, oh, a couple hours later. Yeah. Interesting. It was yeah, a really interesting that. film. Yeah. I don't know if I could say it was great, but it was certainly interesting. Yeah. But the, the producer on it was uh, Max Rob, who, who'd uh, done Walkabout. Oh, okay. So another kind of trippy yeah. uh, wilderness adventure. That's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wonder what the critics thought of this at the time. You know, that that's kind of an interesting thing because, um, you know, critics have never not been dicks. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they, you know, from from the first time that somebody made a film that moved and they went, oh, my goodness, look at it. There was some critic waiting nearby to go, oh, well, you know what? <laughs> so I have to wonder, like, in fact... Uh, if I pull this up on Wikipedia, there's almost certainly that section about critical reception. Um, I don't oh. know if, how many people saw it. Well, hey, Yeah, I'm not sure that anybody ever saw this film. Well, check this out. Norman Mailer. 
considered hex. Yeah, he said that Norman Mailer liked it, but yeah. I think uh, yeah, uh, Garen had done some uh, off-Broadway productions of Norman Mailer, so they knew each other. Oh, okay. Well, he gave it he gave it uh, the props in in the way that he said it was one of the top ten best films of 1973, although it wasn't really from 1973. Um, let's see. Um, <laughs> well. If you if you really want to go to the authority on this sort of thing, the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Uh, okay. I'm guessing a Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, Roger Green said uh, he praised the film for its oft-used but effective horror sequences, adding, at the start of the flick, the viewer has expectations of a truly humorous adventure with innumerable profound statements of symbolic nature, of a symbolic nature. As this theory vanishes, one settles back for a hair-straightening edge-of-this-chair spine-tingler. Now... I wouldn't go that far personally. I, I didn't feel it was um, that fright-inducing or spine-tingling, but it definitely took you from that harmonica and um, and the twangy uh, jaw harp or juice harp, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I've heard it called both, but uh, but it goes from all that uh, silly kind of music and uh, people having races and and. Uh, little insult battles and all that sort of stuff. It goes from that into something pretty dark with a hex or, or whatever you want to call the magic. It gets kind of evil dead when the, 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 uh, you know, that woman in China, Mm -hmm. when she gets, uh, completely disoriented and she's like stumbling about in the woods and yeah, yeah. Everything seems out to get her and like she gets sucked into the earth and, Assaulted by the trees. Yeah. That effect looked really good, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sucked into the earth look. Now the uh the pond scene, did this take you out of it to see the to see the young lady's tan lines? (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't even notice. (laughs) Were you reminded that you were watching a movie? (laughs) You didn't notice it? Okay. Yeah, uh, I was I was thinking. Oh, I don't know what this movie was originally rated, but if there's going to be nudity, there's going to be a rating thing, and uh, she kind of pops up out of the water enough, but then you see her tan lines, right. and uh, so I, I'm not sure if she was uh, the director's wife or she was based off his wife because he was married to a woman named China for about two weeks. Oh, two oh. whole weeks, huh? Yeah. Well, so what is so the? I don't know if that was her or not. What's the appropriate anniversary gift for the two-week anniversary? <laughs> cellophane or yeah, toilet cellophane. Roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but yeah, um, the uh, the uh, so he he brought in this uh, writer named Steve Katz to do the screenplay with him. Uh, his his first choice was uh, Rudy Wurlitzer, but he he'd done uh, Two Lane Blacktop, which is another kind of trippy road movie. Yeah. Uh, but he was off doing uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Oh, okay. So, uh, so he brought in Steve Katz, who was this postmodern writer. He'd done a, uh, like books like uh, Creamy and Delicious. Um, uh, he was born in the Bronx. He was about he was about 30, his mid-30s when he was writing this. Uh, he was a teacher at Cornell and various other uh, colleges and uh, 
he uh, from 1978 onwards, he was at the uh, University of Colorado at Boulder. Oh, really? Um, he, he worked as a miner and dairy farmer, and uh, he was a Tai Chi instructor. Nice. Um, wow. So yeah, he's an interesting guy. He, he, so he, he's wrote, he's, he's written uh, autobiographies. Um, so he talks about working on this film. Um, so he met uh, Garen, who's this off-Broadway director who'd done things like uh, he did the, a play called The Toilet. Um, <laughs> which I, I think that was written by Leroy Jones. Um, so he, he handed in this, this idea uh, and then he disappeared off to Austria for two weeks to do sleep therapy. And then... Uh, so, so he was he was writing on the script, and uh, uh, the, he he worked at various apartments. And uh, for one week, he was writing at the producer producer's Long Beach shack. Uh, Max Rab had a fisherman shack converted in, on Long Beach, so he worked there for about a week. And uh, uh, Leo Goran came back, and uh, he didn't seem uh, any better for his sleep therapy, but uh, he seemed a bit of a obnoxious guy. Um, he didn't do much work after this because he, you know, he just annoyed too many people. Uh, but he, uh, uh, he, he was always trying to get girls into his apartment. Uh, uh, when they were on uh, Long Beach, there was a couple of uh, teenage girls who turned up and they were curious about what they were working on. And uh, so he, so Goran invited them in and he wanted to take uh, photos of them. And then the sheriff turned up and. Uh, Said, you know, what, what are you trying to do? Because one of these girls, these girls are fourteen years old. He said, uh, "You know, this girl is my daughter." Um, but the uh, the producer guy, Max Rab, was a friend of the sheriff. So they, uh, you know, they just said uh, kept kept the daughters well away from him. Um, but anyway, uh, so Katz carried on work, working on this uh, screenplay, and uh, uh, at one point he was. Uh, they put him up at this place, which uh, had been uh, one of the residences of uh, Timothy Leary. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he said he was working in this room where there was this brandy inhaler full of cocaine. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, so anyway, uh, he finished the script and uh, handed it over, and then the director disappeared off to Austria for another couple of weeks of sleep therapy. Uh, and then uh, that's the last he saw of it, so... Mm. Yes. It was definitely a different world in that day, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to the bottom of the of the John Carradine thing here uh, just by, believe it or not, Wikipedia has a little bit about it, about post-production. Um, there are still photos of John Carradine, Keith Carradine's father, uh, that show the two of them on the set apparently shooting a scene together, but that yeah. must have gotten cut because... Yeah, there's something on IMDb that says that the scene was uh, released in Europe, I guess, but not here, and, has okay. to, and then has since gone missing. Yeah, that makes sense because this was like uh, the studio uh, got tired of this movie not being finished and... Uh, took the rights away from the director and oh. shelved it and then they tried releasing it in various uh, titles so it, you know, it was probably edited each time it went out yeah I mean, like you see the um, uh, the video box for the shrieking uh, mm -hmm. 
the videotape version and you, you'd have no idea what this movie <laughs> was actually like it's just like a close-up of an eye um yeah it, it's ridiculous attempts to make it look like a <laughs> some kind of hardcore horror movie it kind of reminded me of a uh, messiah of evil and yes way. yeah yeah they uh they must have decided uh, to keep all the the uh, Dan Haggerty stuff, you know, Grizzly Adams, because uh-huh. uh, they must have known that his show was coming out in a year or two. Did you like his customized uh, Model T with those huge uh, exhaust pipes? Yeah, and the, yeah, and the flames painted on it. Flame job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah, he he was. Um, uh, well, here's something interesting about him. Um, in uh, in the life and time of Grizzly Adams, the life and times of Grizzly Adams, uh, the TV series, uh, this was, let's see, co-starring Don Shanks as Nakoma, his, uh, his faithful um, Indian friend, as, the, as you would say at the time, the Native American who kind of pops in and out of the story. Don Shanks, uh, who uh, you would know from Michael Myers' Halloween 5. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Revenge I of Michael. I would, would yeah. I? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you can never get me to admit that I watched Halloween 5. The re- it's one of the top 20 Halloween movies. <laughs> yeah. It is. <laughs> and uh, he was the serial killer in I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. So, uh, oh, there's another good sequel. So he is of, of Cherokee and Illini uh, descent. So, um, yeah, you, at least it wasn't uh, a white guy playing the part. But, yeah, so there's a Halloween 5 tie-in to Grizzly <laughs> Adams <laughs> to get us to the movie we're talking about tonight. So there's a thread running through it. Right. Just wanted to throw that out there, guys. <laughs> yeah. So what was with the ending of this film? <laughs> well, what was you? You saw it most recently. What happened again? So at the very end, <laughs> there's two bikers left, and the two girls, the two sisters. Yeah. And the two bikers ride off, and then the younger of the two turns around and he rides back. And the older guy rides me, yelling at him the whole way. Don't oh, no! Don't don't go back! Don't go back! They go back, and the younger guy, Golly, says, "I'm going to stay. Things need to be fixed around here." And then the uh, uh, darker-haired sister Oriole says, uh, "Well, then I'm going with you." And and he's like the the older biker's like. Um, I guess I don't have any choice in the matter. And she's like, nope. And they get on a bike together and they ride off and they're riding across the field and then four jets fly overhead. Yeah. Okay. The jets. All right. So you, so you were with the jets. Yeah. Uh, that was so, um, yeah. (laughs) It was like, what's your theory? It was like that um, uh, 
movie The Village. Mm-hmm. Where you, you know, it's it's some ancient village, but then it turns out they're they're in the real world or the modern day world. There, you know. Um, yeah, what the hell? Was that the future racing up towards them from California? Was it saying "Ain't a damn thing changed"? <laughs> yeah, I think it's something like that because, like, uh, this was like uh, towards the end of the Vietnam involvement. Yeah. Um, so they're saying is yes, yeah, you know this this film is set just after the First World War, but uh, ain't a damn thing changed. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, as, as you're saying, we, we're like a hundred years on, and <sighs> yeah, pandemics, wars, motorcycles, <laughs> mm-hmm. hexes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must be what it was saying. Was was that? Uh, you know, uh, despite all our rage, we're still just rats in a cage. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've got a great Billy Corgan story for you sometime, but not not this time. But <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you want me to just tell it? <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, when my ex-wife and I split up, uh, she texted me cause we were on good terms and she texted me out of the blue one time and she goes, so, you know, smashing pumpkins are playing at red rocks tonight. Um, I'm in an antique store. Billy Corgan's here right now. And so I immediately texted her back and I said, Oh, is he wearing his Nosferatu jacket? Uh, <laughs> thinking I'm being funny. And she's like, he actually is. <laughs> Oh man! So then I Good texted, call. I texted back, "Hey Billy Corgan, are you going to buy that glass poodle?" <laughs> yeah, I put it in quotation marks like that would be something she would say to him, and then I texted, uh, "Billy Corgan goes stumbling through <laughs> uh, antique store, knocking things over <laughs> with the flaps of his coat, <laughs> trying to get away from the person who recognized him." Dude, you don't blend. With your bald head, you're six foot four, you're wearing a fucking Nosferatu coat. You don't blend. Everyone's going to recognize you. Or at least know that you don't blend. Even if they don't, <laughs> even if they don't know who you are. I don't know if he likes glass poodles. I threw that in there as like something you would buy in an antique store. But uh, the more I thought about it over the years, I kind of want a glass poodle. Where do you get a glass poodle? I'll keep my eyes open next time at the antique, etc. up the street. You know, I really thought I wanted those acrylic grapes, you know, those oversized acrylic grapes that used to be on everybody's grandma's coffee table? Yeah. I used to think I wanted those, but then I think I've shifted over to, like, I wanted the black ceramic panther, the stalking panther that I've Oh, yeah. Yeah, so grapes, panther, but then I'm like, do I just really want a glass poodle? I don't know. Uh, this this is maybe my issue, not Billy Corgan's. So the museum I worked at, um, <laughs> I'll tell this story now that I don't work there anymore. Now that we've opened it up. <laughs> uh, upstairs, they have in our, in our kitchen, the break room kitchen, um, they have glass cabinets that are full of antique glasses. Um. There's three in each on each shelf, but I noticed in one there were only two glasses. So I was at the antique mall, and I saw one of those 
uh, Looney Tune glasses, you know, the glass tumblers yeah. from the 70s. Yeah. That you'd get like Pepsi at, you know, whatever, A&W. Uh, and it was Tweety Bird. And because the building is yellow, it somehow clicked. And I was like, all right. So I bought this Tweety Bird glass and I snuck it into work and I put it in the cabinet. And it sat there for a year, and nobody noticed it. Oh, my God. Really? So my last day, I pointed it out. And they were like, oh, my God. How long has that been there? It's like, it's been a year. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a year-long piece of performance art, Will. Yeah. And one day, I was in the break room, and uh, one of the coworkers was like, oh, check out this candlestick. And she was pointing to a candlestick that was... Either I think it was right below it, uh, one down, uh, and I was like, "Uh huh, yeah, that's a great candlestick." Like, yeah, look up, look up. She didn't notice, you know. But yours totally doesn't fit because it's Tweety Bird. He's, you know, everything else is very elegant, Art Deco glass and Art Nouveau stuff, mostly Art Deco uh, or modern. And then there's this, you know. 1973 Tweety Bird glass. Yeah. Now it's part of the museum property. So. Wow. So you surrendered it, you or you gifted it? Yeah, they put it. They they're gonna put a tag on it and everything. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, eBay is definitely holding your childhood hostage. If you ever want anything. Oh Oh my God, it's the worst. Damn. I did get a. I did get a bargain recently, although, um, you get a what? I did get a bargain on eBay recently. Uh, these are bargain. This arrived today and it is not, um, it is not because of the camera lens that this looks huge. This is a very big mug. Uh, the, um, the Trader Vic's mugs from the fifties and sixties. I've always been on the lookout for the skulls. And there's like a thing where you could put like a candle or some dry ice in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, somebody was like, buy it now. And, and the price on it was about half what they should be. And they were in good condition. So I bought um, a pair of the Trader Vic skull mugs because cool. I, I have a bunch of vintage tiki's. And, yeah. And it's like, but I don't have the skulls. It's not really complete. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it was a thing. <clears throat> I don't remember what drink they put in them. Well, like I remember, but a zombie. Yeah, you remember when you were there? Yeah, in the fifties. Yeah, <laughs> I was back from the war. See, <laughs> I was on my motorcycle. Anyway, so did we digress for long enough to get to an hour? I think so. All right. Yeah. So what what have we learned, Billy Corgan? although he may or may not like glass poodles, does show up at the antique store wearing his Nosferatu coat. Um, Will has been able to uh, sneak something into a museum and leave it there and not be noticed for a year. Yeah. Now, if you could do that in reverse, it would be called a heist. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't want to do a heist. I would really love to be able to sneak things into the museum. Yeah. Like... Uh, uh, Steve Martin has done that. He's taken fake paintings in and put them up in the museum. Oh man! To see if uh, anyone notices. Yeah, I've I've heard that people have dropped something or left something and then 
people gathered around to speculate as to what it meant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not the most unusual thing in the world for people to get the wrong idea about art because everyone tries to practice art speak when they go into the museum and talk about what it all means. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything because someone <laughs> dropped a candy bar wrapper in the corner. <laughs> oh, so guys, this movie, how do you feel about recommending it? Will? Um, yeah, I'm going to recommend it. Yeah. Do you think the horror fans are going to be like, nah, it's a little light on the horror or do you think they'll get it? I mean, obviously not the gorehounds because you know, there's yeah, no, there's no real... yeah. It's a little light on horror, but I felt uneasy enough during the uh, the frog scene that I think it worked. Yeah, it what... was a weird enough film that I think I have to recommend it. Definitely fell into that experimental category. And it's of... only ninety two minutes long, so if it was any longer, it would it wouldn't. It'd be unbearable, but, you know, they could even cut it down. Yeah. 85 minutes. 82 minutes. Yeah, you could lose a little out of this movie and have it not go noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Jolien, how about you? Yeah, um, I, I really liked it. I mean, uh, if you if you like uh, trippy period films. You know, yeah, like exactly. Early Ben Wheatley movies. Uh, if you like The Witch. Um, mm-hmm. if, if this came out, in a like restored edition, I definitely get it. Oh um, yeah, I was. You no, know, it's got such a good, good looking cast, and uh, the the landscape is amazing. Um, there's like shots like in the last third where the, the women are kind of uh, sprawling in the in the long grass outside the farmhouse. It looks like a Wyeth painting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would look that would look amazing if there was a good edition of this. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I was hoping somebody out there was, you know, working on 2K, 4K restoration or something. Right, uh, somebody 1K. needs to clean this up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah anything. Yeah, anything outside of uh, the 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 bad YouTube transfer we all watched and still enjoyed it. Uh, I liked it. I I did feel like it almost deliberately put you off guard to use the silly music and some of the silly sequences earlier in the movie and then get into the dark and getting into the darker stuff later. Uh, I enjoyed that aspect of it and, and definitely would recommend the movie hopefully in a better edition. Yeah. Because it's hard to tell someone, yeah, just cue it up on YouTube. It'll be fine. Right. Uh, yeah, because it just doesn't look good. It's it's in the television formatted, uh, whatever that is, uh, three, four, whatever. Uh, yeah. But I would expect this is going to come out in a restoration at some point. It's not like it's a bunch of nobodies. It's not like it's not significant enough in how uh, it showed up on the scene and, and was well regarded by at least Norman Mailer, if nobody else. I mean, <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's, let's go ahead and say, uh, gorehounds beware. You won't get your gore, but, uh, regular horror fans. Um, yeah, you're going to put, you're going to put yourself through the lighter stuff to get to the darker stuff, but yeah. you, you it, will it's pretty quick. You'll be entertained. Yeah. It, it was entertaining all the way through. 
Yeah, and and everyone was young and cool at the time, and now they're all in their seventies, which is kind of weird. But yeah, this is this is a good period in time. So, uh, who's picking the next one? Is it you, Will? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll have to pick something. Okay. Well, with that, should we call it a show, guys? Let's call it a show. I'm gonna go eat some dinner. Yeah, I, okay. might, I might do the same thing. Well, listeners, we thank you for listening. And, um, damn, I don't have one. I don't remember one from the movie tonight. Oh. Line. <laughs> All right. Well enough. I'll see you guys later. <laughs>